It's the TEH Podcast, episode 103. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. How's it going, Gary? Oh, just fine. I hear things are kind of warm down there. Yeah, yeah. We're, we've been getting a lot of heat here in, uh, in June, and um, my office is on the top floor with, uh, you know, when the sun hits it, it gets, it gets hot up here. It's part, <laughs> part of the, uh, yeah, part of the problem with this office. It's a nice office in the fall and the spring. It's part of the charm. Uh, Charm, I think, was the word you were looking for. <laughs> yeah, really. It's funny because um, uh, our occasional co-host and now occasional guest, Randy, mentioned just the other day that he's got snow. Yeah, yeah, we did have. <laughs> yeah, Colorado got hit uh, here in the mountains with a lot of rain down here, and then there was snow yeah. up in the mountains, and uh, people sending pictures saying, "No, this is really what it looks like right now. <laughs> this isn't a picture from last winter." Right. right. Now in June. It's funny because, and Seattle, of course, is living up to its reputation. It's been raining here. So, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so you're using some cloud stuff differently. What's going on? Yeah. So I thought uh, I, I talk about this because um, I started using cloud services way back when, you know, at the early days and Dropbox was, that was the really the first major like cloud service that lots of people joined. And the cool thing about Dropbox which is basically how all the other cloud services work now, is you had a folder called Dropbox on your Mac. Say you had a desktop Mac and a laptop Mac. You had a folder called Dropbox on both of those. And they look like they were the same folder. You put one thing in one folder on one Mac, then it appeared on the other one. You can edit, and it would just sync up. Um, It was like a magic folder that everything just automatically synced up on. And that really sums up how... Uh, you know, cloud services, you know, file storage works like that. Um, Well, I've been using Dropbox like that ever since up until last week (laughs) when I changed. And what happened was um, a lot of things. Well, first, of course, I use iCloud Drive for most of my cloud services stuff now. So Dropbox is kind of relegated to my second tier cloud service uh, service stuff. You know, I used it for occasional things. We used it. uh, We for this, uh, the show. Say, we're soaking in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And you know, and it, it was really useful. I mean, back when we started, uh, I mean, it was a basically a, a collaboration between me, you and Randy handling all the stuff. And so we would, I would take the files and I'd put the audio files into the Dropbox folder on my computer. And then they would appear in the Dropbox folder on Randy's computer and in your computer and all that. Well, the problem with that and the thing a lot of people complain about is sometimes they don't want to have the files on their computer. Right. They want to actually, they, what they don't want is a cloud service. They want cloud storage. Mm-hmm. And I found that as my, uh, you know, the stuff I have stored grows, I'm in need of storage as well. But Dropbox just doesn't work like that. It's kind of annoying. I have a gig, a terabyte of Dropbox storage with right. my plan. And it, it means if I put if I fill it with lots of stuff on my Mac on my desktop, it also is on my Mac laptop, which has a much smaller hard drive. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't have to be. There's lots of <laughs> there's lots of things you can do in Dropbox to switch things on and off and and do all sorts of stuff. But they never quite got it done for me. They never quite worked like I want. Really? Throw something onto one Mac, run over to the other Mac before you forget and immediately say, on this Mac, I don't want that. You know, that kind of thing. Um, 
So here's here's what happened. Yeah, and we talked about it before on the show, how Dropbox kind of, I don't know, it it works, but it's not perfect. Well, so here's the deal. We, I started using another cloud service years ago called Google Drive. Mm And uh, we actually used Google Drive for the show too because we are document this year. Right. Google Drive. But uh, at some point, I noticed that my actual servers, my web servers that host all my sites, are able to back up to Google Drive, which yes. is interesting because it turns out it's far cheaper to do that than actually using website backup services. Yes. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll turn that on, back up to Google Drive. And I had a Google Drive account that was free. And I was able to actually store a full backup of all my servers on that. And I thought, great, that's free. But you know what? For 30 bucks a year, I can expand my Google Drive account and actually back up daily, weekly, and monthly. Right. So I started doing that. But here's the interesting thing. I started using Google Drive for this and other, other things. I started, I'm actually collaborating with somebody on a course right now. And we're using Google Drive as our collaboration tool. But somehow... I never installed the Google Drive extension for Mac, which oh, would right. make it like Dropbox. Right. I just thought, uh, instead of installing that and having another synced folder, mm-hmm. I'll just go to the web page, drive.google.com, and I could see stuff there, and it works fine. Okay. And then until basically it didn't, until basically I needed more access, I needed quicker access. So I was about to install the Google Drive extension when I remembered if I go into panic transmit, which is the FTP app that a lot of Mac users, maybe most Mac users use, mm-hmm. there is actual uh, thing where you could say, instead of FTP, give me like AWS, Amazon right. web services, yep. or give me Google drive. Right. And I can connect to it inside of panic transmit. And the charm of panic transmit is that it looks like a finder window and you could drag and drop from it and to it. So you have a panic transmit window and a finder window next to each other. They look almost the same. They basically, you know, they sort files the same way and everything. Mm-hmm. And you could drag and drop, you know, drag to put something up on a server, dra- uh, drag out to download something from a server. And I was able to set it up with Google Drive and have exactly what I wanted. I could have easy, quick, finder-like access to my files of Google Drive mm-hmm. through panic transmit without ever having to install Google's extension without ever having to set any preferences for what syncs and what doesn't. And then I remembered, wait a minute, in the list here next to Google Drive is Dropbox and Transmit. So I thought, okay, what the hell, I'll just enter my password and all that in there. And now I have access to my Dropbox account in Transmit. And when I did that, I thought, holy cow, I've got exactly the type of access I want now to Dropbox, which means... I could uninstall the Dropbox extension for the first time in 12 years, 15 years, whenever Dropbox started. And I did that. I uninstalled it, got rid of the Dropbox folder. All of my Dropbox stuff is now actually only on the server. And thanks to my fast bandwidth at home, I can quickly access it when I need to. But it's truly storage now, not a cloud service. Right. And cheap storage too. Both, uh, well, I think it's it's fairly standard. I think it's a hundred bucks for a terabyte of storage. And thanks to how Transmit works, you know, which makes me wonder why Dropbox doesn't have something like that. Um, I can actually access this used Dropbox. I'm actually in the last week. I've used it more than I've used it in years <laughs> because <laughs> because I actually have what I want. You know, drop something into it and it actually uploads to a server. 
Right. And now I can delete the copy I've got locally. You know, if I want something, find it there. It's not on my local computer, but I can drag it out and now have a copy of it locally. And for small things, like, um, like say, if I wanted to look at a text file or just an image, I don't have to even download it. You know, I could still preview and I can still open it kind of directly from the server uh, to look at it. So I don't have to like create a mess in order just to see what's there. Um, anyway, it's, it's kind of fascinating. I no longer have any uh, cloud extension things running on any of my Macs. But I'm using Panic Transmit, an uh, app I've owned for a long time, um, you know, more now because I have both Google Drive and Dropbox as servers so on that. It's interesting because you've gone down um, a very similar path to what I did, and I suspect at least parts of it are because we've talked from time to time. Um, yeah. The, uh, uh, I, let's see, my current machine, the one I'm looking at, which is my, my Mac Pro that these days I'm really only using, um, I use once a week for this podcast. Uh, it has the Dropbox app installed. It has the OneDrive app installed. And it has two instances of the Google Drive app installed because I have two Google accounts, um, one of which is my business and one of which is my personal. Uh, but uh, based on what you've just described, I may change some of that because I know that I can do the exact same thing on both my Macs and my PCs using, um, well, okay, so CyberDuck is mm -hmm. an FTP client. And that, to call these things FTP clients these days is such a, such a disservice because they all handle like about a dozen different protocols. Uh, right. FTP, SFTP, FTPS, which is different, HTTP dev. Um, I mean, there's just, just a bunch of different protocols. Um, and it does, in fact, uh, support um, AWS, Google Drive, OneDrive, Dropbox, Box, um, and you know, a bunch of other of these um, online storage services. Oh, yeah, I see them all here. Even ones I've never heard of. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you ever need another one, just go look at the app and see which ones it supports. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but where it really shines for me, they have an app called Mountain Duck, which essentially shares the database. And it works rather than as a standalone FTP application. It works as, I guess I'd call it a system extension. It just makes whatever you have connected to visible as on a PC as another drive. So for example, uh, the way I upload things to my server is to copy things to my A drive because my A drive is actually mapped to the root of my server. Uh, and just copying things to the appropriate folder on the A drive causes that to be upload to, uploaded to the corresponding uh, folder on the server. And vice versa, right? Downloading, same story. Mm. Uh, it's really cool for uh, videos that I'm doing because I just, you know, drop them, you know, on my external drive and then I run a script that just does a synchronization sync using uh, normal Windows command line tools uh, that I didn't have to, you know, special you know, make specially aware of, of any of this online stuff. It's just copying things from drive D to drive A. And um, it just does all the right magic. Uh, Mountain Duck also uh, uh, 
uh, caches apparently quite well because uh, what I do is I, uh, like I said, I, I upload videos to a folder on my server. And as you can imagine, videos get big, so it's a f and it's been around forever, so it's got hundreds and hundreds of files. So after I reboot my machine and for the very first sync, um, it takes a little while because it's having to read the entire folder structure just to know where things are. But this, the next time I do that, if I'm just uploading something else, it's like instant. It's like mm. I'm done. Um, but having mapping that to uh, to my Dropbox folders or to uh, one of the other folders, I hadn't really considered, and I know that it would work and work well. Not necessarily for my primary work machines, because I really do want that stuff on my hard disk. I mean, part of it's control freak. Part of it is it's part of my backup strategy, right? If you've only got it in the cloud, it's only mm. in one place, so it's not backed up. But if I've got at least one more machine that is downloading this stuff regularly and all of it, then, um, then yeah, uh, that's, that's a great solution. I definitely have machines. Uh, it's funny, because I actually got a survey from Dropbox this morning literally this morning that I filled out and they were asking about a couple of the features that made me whisper earlier uh, about it doesn't have to be that way. They have this thing called, they've got two of them actually, Selective Sync and right. I forget what the other one is called. One is basically uh, on a file by file basis and the other one's on a folder by folder basis. And it's the folder by folder one I use a lot because I've got more stuff in my Dropbox that will fit on than will fit on most of my machines. So I absolutely have to use this selective sync technology to uh, to be able to use Dropbox at all. Um, mm. You know, I've got like a terabyte of photos, and my you know the the machine I'm looking at might have like a half a terabyte of space. So. Um, I definitely, uh, you know, set the the older image uh, folders to be cloud only on this machine. Um, on another machine, yeah, there everything gets downloaded, everything gets replicated, so that I've got multiple copies. But on this machine, it's very, very selective. But I'm thinking that for some of my other machines where I don't want to use any disk space at all, the approach you're taking um, makes a whole lot of sense. And yes, I'm doing exactly the same thing you are. I'm backing up my server to Google Drive. The um, uh, I did the math, the same math that you worked through, and of the various uh, uh, storage solutions uh, for you know saving server backups, that one turned out to be uh, not just the most cost effective, uh, certainly cheaper than what we were paying at the host for them to store these images, but uh, also the most flexible because now you know these backups are showing in various places and. Uh, like in the case of our server backups, they're just zip files. So if I need to grab something from a zip file, I can just do that really quick by without having to download anything. I mean, it's it's very cool. Yeah, I also liked how, uh, you know, the only thing I really need to do with my backup files, unless there's a disaster, is check to make sure they exist. Yes. And Google... <laughs> Storing them someplace at Google Drive makes that task extremely easy. Yes. Whereas before, I think I was actually, you know, storing them in a, a storage service. I had to log on to it, and I had to, you know, kind of check. It was a, it was a thing. Here, I mean, simple. I can, I can actually even literally bookmark it in my browser. Yes. Or Google Drive, yep. and click that bookmark, and it instantly brings it up, and I say, oh yeah, there are this, there's this morning's date, there's yesterday's date. Okay, it's all there. Yep. I actually have, so I, I run you know, multiple WordPress sites, and I actually manage some WordPress sites for others. Um, the plugin Backup Buddy, which is a WordPress backup utility, uh, it also supports backing up to, they have their own cloud storage, of course, because everybody mm -hmm. does, but um, they will push the backup files to um, AWS, 
to Dropbox, I think, but they'll push them to Google Drive. So that's what I have them do. So when, yeah. my, when Ask Leo gets backed up every night, that actually gets pushed out to Google Drive. The only downside is that there really isn't a way for them to um, automatically expunge older backups. So if I don't pay attention, it simply starts accumulating um, on within Google Drive. But as you say, it's so easy then to fire up a browser, go to that folder in Google Drive, sort it or look at it, and then just delete, delete, delete the ones you don't want to keep. And I actually do that once a month. Yeah, and, and now I can do that using Transmit for Google Drive because I yes. have that yep. easily. Which actually might give you, oh, I need to look at that. That's uh -huh. very cool. No, it's yeah. seriously because I think that'll give me some sorting options. Yes, it does. That, That's that the uh, uh, the native interface to Google Drive doesn't give you. Yes, that is one of the the reasons uh, it's useful to have that. So yeah, very cool. Uh, thanks for the ideas. That's uh, and yes, I I do use all three. Um, I use all three: Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive. Um, Dropbox. Because uh, let's see, one of the organizations I support uses it. Um, I ended up using it for a lot of things. I share basically with all of my, you know, with my assistants. We all share things through Dropbox. I have Google Drive, as you described, for uh, backups and so forth. And then uh, I have OneDrive because I have Microsoft Office, and they just give you a terabyte of OneDrive. Uh, when you've got Microsoft Office. I don't use it for a you lot. Know, it's kind of like a, a th the third tier when, eh, yeah, I'll throw that up somewhere and I can you know, point a link to it. The one thing that OneDrive does a little bit nicer, I think, than some of the others is it makes it easier for you to create things like photo galleries simply by uploading files. Right, and you could do that with Dropbox too. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, actually, I have a Microsoft Office annual subscription too. So I should probably add, I can add OneDrive to transmit as well yes. and suddenly have this terabyte that I could, uh, I don't know, I could, I could use it for something, I'm sure. Uh, you'll find something to do with <laughs> I'll it. I'll find yes. some use for it. <laughs> well, because I do like, uh, you know, it, I, the work I do creating these 10 minute tutorial videos, right. it, they create huge file, like 25 gigs or more sometimes every right. day and that I don't necessarily need to keep forever. I mean, so I know some people will do that and, you know, but really a year later, am I, if I'm going to do another video on the same subject or have, maybe there's something wrong with that original video, I'm not going to edit that original video. I'm just going to create something new from scratch. Right. And all the right. software has changed, everything like that. So what I tend to do is find places like that where I can throw those files uh, just in case, you know, and then maybe every once in a while I'll go in and delete the oldest ones. But it's the kind of thing, like if I miss a source file for a video that I did four months ago, it's 99.9%. .9 I'm not going to need it ever after the day I make the video. Right. And if it, you know, so if I store it somewhere like OneDrive, uh, which I should probably do. But uh, one of the things you alluded to earlier is that Google Drive is horrible in giving you sorting options on the web. Right. Um, and uh, I can confirm that in Transmit, at least, and I'm sure CyberDuck's the same way, uh, I say, yes, give me sizes for these folders. And it gives me the sizes for the folders. And I can sort by size and all of that. So right. Right. Uh, it's like, oh, why can't I just do that in the, <laughs> the web browser? But, um, but yeah, useful, useful stuff. And definitely, I should probably do a, a video on this at some point. <laughs> well, I mean, because Panic Transmit is a well-known Mac app. Right. 
and I'm sure a lot of uh, my viewers have it or use it for something. And I always get asked pe uh, by people who want to use something like Dropbox, but as storage, not as uh, a cloud service. And this is a way to to basically right. turn it completely into storage. Yeah. And to be clear, um, one of the reasons that I like Cyberduck uh, is that it is on both platforms. Yeah, it is. I've used it before. I have used Cyberduck in the past. Matter of fact, I think Cyberduck was the bridge. Uh, I th there was an app for years and years called Fetch for Mac. Okay. That, I mean, probably for a decade or more, uh, you know, starting at some point in the 90s, was my go-to FTP app. Right. I'm not sure what happened to it, but at some point, Panic Transmit kind of picked up as the go-to app. In between those, I was using CyberDuck for several years. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I was, it's funny, Mountain Duck came along and uh, it ended up replacing a utility that I got uh, called WebDrive, which was Windows only, but it did that whole map a remote site to a drive so you could just copy to it transparently. Yeah. Um, Cyberduck is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, free, although you can donate. Uh, free for personal, I think it is. And uh, it just it, oh, does yeah. it, it does all the good things. So I've been, mm -hmm. I've been pretty pleased with it um, and have it on, on all of my machines. Cool. So speaking of using things differently. Yes. yes. So um, without going into all of the horrible details, um, I've started using Facebook a little bit differently. I decided that uh, paying attention to, to Facebook was bad for my peace of mind. It was bad for my sanity. It was bad for my ability to sleep at night. Um, mm -hmm. There was just too many things scrolling by that um, I was obviously, I was interested in, curious about, didn't necessarily need in that, you know, at that, that kind of, of rate. Um, but it's it's a time suck, it's an attention suck, and mm. it was a soul suck in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but but there's a problem, and the problem, of course, is that um, you know I've got the Ask Leo Facebook page, and I'm uh, an administrator on a couple of groups, and I'm a member of a couple of other groups that are actually quite valuable that I don't necessarily want to lose. So after thinking about it for a while. What I elected to do, um, I did let everybody know that I've stepped away from Facebook uh, on the personal side, but um, I am no longer paying attention to and no longer visiting my own timeline. So I'm not getting the Facebook feed. What I've done is I've uh, just captured a few bookmarks to specific places in Facebook that uh, that I feel do add value. Like I said, those groups and my page and so forth, those things that, that I do want to continue to have some kind of association with. And uh, just by visiting those and then resisting the temptation to, uh, to pay too much attention to notifications, I still have to pay attention to notifications because some of them relate to those groups and pages, but uh, completely resisting the, the temptation to uh, go... Uh, visit my timeline or visit something that isn't involved with one of those pages that I've bookmarked. And I got to say, um, I'm pretty much, I'm about a week in, almost a week in, and uh, the results have been very, very positive. I've, I'm, I feel like it's a, it's a balance where uh, realistically leaving Facebook was just not something I could do, you know, like leaving it and shutting down my Facebook account and so forth. But um, it didn't actually take a whole lot of self-discipline to come up with a structure 
that uh, that worked really well for me. And it's as simple as bookmarking the places you want to go and not going anywhere else. Mm. Yeah, I, I only have one bookmark for Facebook and it goes directly to the Mac most controls. Sure. Um, I, of course, I know I'm one click away from just hitting the Facebook icon at the top left <laughs> yes. and then I'm at my, my personal homepage. But also, what, another thing I do is on my work computer, I have... I use two browsers, Safari and Chrome, mm-hmm. and I use Safari for almost everything. I use Chrome for two things. Uh, one is I have uh, a YouTube kind of extension, third-party thing called TubeBuddy, As do which I. gives yeah. you some ex- you know, some extra bits. Yep. I have that installed on Chrome, so it's not installed in Safari. It doesn't run quite as well in Safari, I hear, and it is, uh, you know, it's a it does a lot. I mean, it changes how YouTube looks completely. Yes. Um, so I just have that on Chrome. Uh, and the other thing I have is I'm logged into Facebook on Chrome, but not on Safari. So if I'm in Safari and I go to Facebook.com, it's a login screen. And I have to go through the whole two-factor thing to log in, which I'm not about <laughs> to do. So if I need to do Facebook, I actually need to launch Chrome. Right. Go to my Facebook link, which takes me to MacMo. So there's a lot of steps shielding me from ever just, seeing my personal yep, yep. Facebook stuff. Anything to make it just a, enough of a barrier that it yeah. becomes inconvenient. Exactly. I and I think uh, I mean I think it's pretty good. Cool. I've never really had too much trouble staying away from Facebook. Some, if anything, I had trouble. I would have trouble where I'd have somebody say, oh, did you hear about so-and-so or this or whatever? Right, right. And it's like, oh, no, I haven't been on Facebook for like a week, you know, <laughs> without trying. It's like, no, it just didn't occur to me to go to Facebook. So I haven't been right. there for a while. Yeah. So it's not, but I definitely can see the appeal of wanting to stay away. When I, when I do go to Facebook, I think the most common button I hit is the snooze for 30 days button. <laughs> well, just, uh, you know, I'll see something somebody posted and I'll be like, I don't really care about them. And then I'll click the snooze for 30 days button. And then, you know, eventually they end up back uh, so after the 30 days. The way that I manage when I'm, when I'm looking at my personal feed, uh, which I'm hoping someday I'll get back to because, you know, it's full of corgis. The, um, uh, the, the way I do it actually is I don't look at the Facebook feed. Uh, what Facebook allows you to do on the uh, uh, desktop version of the site is you can create what is called a list. Yeah. And it's a list of only those people and pages that you select out of the ones that you follow or are friends with. So it's basically a subset of everything. And I have a shortcut to that list, which then displays me a feed consisting only of posts and items related to that list. On top of that, then I also use, um, I think I'm currently using Fluff Busting Purity, uh, which is another, a browser extension, works well in Chrome, that uh, does a bunch of things like, uh, turn off ads. You know, it acts as an ad blocker. It acts as a sponsored post blocker. It uh, it actually will block things uh, based on keywords. So I have certain keywords for things that I would never see in my feed. Uh, local sports teams are the things that that get me when there's a sports season, right? It's like I don't care. Just go away. I don't want to see that. And now I don't have to just by specifying that as as a keyword in my uh, 
in fluff busting purity. But, you know, even with all that, even with all that, it was just getting to be too much. And um, I highly, highly recommend not only the various steps that I've described for potentially managing Facebook, if you're something you want to continue to interact with, but uh, taking a break. Taking a break is worth it. Uh, it is definitely one of those things where uh, not only am I more productive because I'm not spending any time in Facebook during the day, uh, but I'm also sleeping better at night. And that is uh, also worth a lot. Yes, it is. One of the, I guess, uh, for a brief time, I got a little bit into doing a particular activity on Facebook, um, which I always used to do, but uh, it would be I'd see somebody post something that was false. That was untrue, particularly when it applies to either science or math. Mm-hmm. And by math, I mean statistics. Like when some, there would be a news story or, you know, at some site that would misuse of statistics or something like that. And previously, I would, when I see something like that, I could sniff it out. I would, oh, there's something fishy here. And I'd do a bit of research and then be very satisfied that I discovered that that, that was wrong. Right. But in the end, I would never go back to Facebook and actually tell the person, like in a comment, you know, no, you're wrong or this, or check this on Snopes or whatever. Because I'm just too nice of a guy. I don't want to offend. I don't want to, you know, create waves <laughs> or whatever. But then Facebook added the ability to report a post and it's kind of anonymous. <laughs> so now I don't have to go and tell my friend, oh, you should have checked your sources because you're wrong. Um, I could just report it. And then if it gets removed, which hopefully it will, they don't know it's me. So when you report something, is is it being, you know, this this post is wrong? Is that enough to report it? Yeah, well, that's, yeah. So let's see here. Uh, I'm just going to look at what the buttons look like here. Uh, I can say, um, uh, find a report post, and then it comes up and it says, uh, oh, select the problem. Nudity, violence, harassment. Suicide or self-injury, false news, spam, unauthorized sales, hate speech, terrorism, incorrect voting info, or something else. And then I believe it's something else you can, uh, what can you do? Oh, you can search. Oh, there's a ton of stuff. Intellectual property, fraud, scams, bullying, child abuse, hate speech, violence, sharing of private images, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, there is a, there's a lot of different categories. And then you can send that in and you can block the person if you want to. But my, right. the whole idea for me is somebody posted something without checking. It's misleading or wrong or something like that. I can report it. It will then be removed. And they didn't get a kind of, you know, uh, you know thing, comment or message from me saying, hey, you know, you're wrong. Right. right, right. Um, but yet I feel I've done something. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the problem with the internet so much of it exists simply to make you feel like you've done something <laughs> well yeah but you know i like i like the idea of of all i can do is remove it like i'm not arguing back i'm not going to tell you why you're wrong right, right. i'm not nothing i just want facebook to go and pay attention and take this down um which they you know they do the reports of tons of stuff uh coming down from facebook now because it's it's just quote, you know, I assume that that link to whatever it is, if it's taken down, then they take it down for everybody. You know, it's not just that one person who posted there's that. Um, there's what do they call it? They call, I think it's called a shadow ban yeah. where um, you as the poster don't know 
that nobody else is seeing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So it looks to you, it looks like it's still there, but to the rest of the world, it's effectively gone. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it's a shadow ban or or you see it's missing or if you get a notification or what the deal is. I'd love it if they would get a notification that just said Facebook has determined that what you posted is is incorrect because um, then <laughs> it would got- teach them, you know. Uh, yeah, you're assuming people are teachable, but the um, uh, what I what I really wanted to say is enough people have reported this as erroneous <laughs> that we're taking it down. So it's not just Facebook; it's like a lot of people, right? I think that I think people are very quick to dismiss Facebook for being Facebook for whatever agenda they might have. But on the other hand, if it's a lot, a quote unquote, a lot of people. Uh, then at least there's not one finger point they can say, oh, it's just Facebook. So, and I, and I believe you could do the same thing on other systems like Nextdoor. Um, I believe there's a way to uh, let's see, report post. Yeah, and there's certain things that you could report. Right. Um, so uncivil, unneighborly, or offensive. That's one. Commercial okay. or spam, sure. irrelevant or annoying, which is really <laughs> seems like really general. Uh, safety issue, fraud or illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, posted in error. Okay, I don't. Yeah, I guess so. And then the last one is misinformation or abuse related to the census and election or COVID nineteen. Yeah, which yeah. is like I think the one they added that appeared in a news story, which alerted me to this thing. So that's great. So I can kind of police, uh, you know, uh, my next door group, police your neighbors <laughs> now with uh, with that because certainly there there's um, been plenty next- of posts that qualify. It's funny. Next door, I, I'm on it. I, I get the Daily Mail, the Daily Digest, I guess, yeah. in, in mid-afternoon. Uh, but it's one of those things where I'm, I'm just reluctant to ever click on any of them. The headlines are uh. interesting. It's like, okay, yep. You know, like in our case, it's like, hey, there's a bear. Well, yes, there's been a bear here. From <laughs> um, yes. you know, so there's all those kinds of things. But there's also, uh, when, you, when you, that first click and you start reading some of the comments, never ever read the comments. Oh, I mean, it's just, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's so much worse than Facebook. So I keep it, I keep it, I keep subscribed simply because occasionally I do learn a little bit interesting things about my neighborhood from the headlines, but uh, that's about as far as I'm willing to dive most of the time. I find the number of comments uh, is a fascinating thing, how it affects me. Because <laughs> if I see a post that I know, oh boy, this is going to be trouble, right? And if I see that there are just a few comments, I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't as much trouble as I thought. If I see there's something like 50 comments, right? then I know, okay, don't read that. Don't go there. That's, that's a mess. <laughs> but here's the thing. If the number gets high enough, if I see there's 150 comments, then it's like, all right, now I have to. <laughs> Now we have to watch the train wreck. I, yes. I have to go in and see what is going on that it's, it's still, ha- or, you know, if I see it lasting for days. Um, but it is, it is, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. And then there's the regular just posts of like, you know, the gunshots or fireworks every single day. There's always somebody posting a, so, a, a gunshots or fireworks. Uh, this is, this is going somewhat off topic, but what the hell? Yeah. Uh, so my theory is okay. that uh, 4th of July, Independence Day, is coming up in, what, yes. two and a half weeks? Yep. My theory is that fireworks at home are going to be a much bigger deal this year because people will not have the opportunity to go to a place where they can congregate and watch yeah, maybe. formal presentations. Now, we already have, so Denver, downtown Denver, we start with the fireworks sometime around May, you know, in the neighborhoods and then the nightly postings. Was that gunshots? No, it's just kids with fireworks in the alley. But um, 
it, it has been more this year. Part of it is because the eight o'clock howl. So, oh, right. right. Yeah, the eight o'clock howl uh, turned into just eight o'clock noise. I mean, it's still howling mostly, but people like to bang pots and pans, make noise. And it was an excuse for shooting off fireworks as well. So there's always a few fireworks. And um, at a nearby park, uh, there actually have been people putting on even small mini uh, fireworks shows, even though it's totally illegal right. in, in Colorado and Denver to do that. Um, you know, people have been doing that. So, and we're still in mid-June here. Um, so it's, it's going to be definitely a lot worse because they've already announced most of those fireworks shows are canceled. Um, right. And uh, yeah. And then, of course, I noticed the billboards are already up because it's illegal here in Colorado. But, you know, jump in your car. It's not long before you're in Wyoming. And uh, and the billboards will will tell you exactly how many miles you are from Wyoming. Right. You know, ninety seven miles north on Interstate I twenty five. So and so fireworks. And uh, sure enough, if you do go- drive up to Wyoming and you cross the border, you know, before you see a town, before you see any kind of truck stop, road services, anything, the first thing you will see uh, is a collection of fireworks uh, places. Yeah. Yeah. As it's true in any border between states where fireworks is loud in one and not the other. <laughs> the, uh, the, our neighborhood is frequently very, very loud, if, especially if the weather is good. Uh, it's like a war zone here on the evening of July the 4th. <laughs> we keep praying for rain just because it keeps the, the, the din down and mm-hmm. you know, reduces the risk of fire. Well, now, the, the, the reason people are, uh, besides thinking that fireworks are gunshots, the reason people are... Um, uh, so interested in fireworks on next door all the time is the reason that kind of applies to you uh, and me is because how they affect dogs. Yes. So if you, if you shoot off fireworks and uh, you know, you do it illegally and somebody does not think that you should be doing it, that's mildly annoying. But if their dog is scared of fireworks, mm-hmm. it becomes like a huge issue. Like big enough for them to post on next door about how upsetting it is for their dogs. Do your do your dogs uh, react well to fireworks? So of the four, two of them are pretty sensitive to it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and one to the point where we have to be very strategic about when that evening we take her outside to go to the bathroom because if things are going off, she ain't going to. She just ain't gonna. It's <laughs> not gonna happen. Um, so, but but I will I will see your dogs and raise you horses. We have uh, horses <laughs> ah, yeah. out here. And some of them don't care. I mean, some of them just, you know, whatever. But we have our current, our current resident, uh, we have a border, and uh, the one preceding him were both just, they went completely nuts uh, during the 4th of July fireworks I could, see, I could see that, and, I, yeah. And it can be really, really dangerous for the horse. And what was really, what was frustrating for us is that uh, we had neighbors, they've since moved, but they had neighbors who had horses of their own who were setting off these fireworks. So it's not like they didn't understand what horses were reacting huh. to. Uh, it's just that, you know, they wanted to make things go boom. So, I just... Yeah, yeah. We, we've actually, the, the horse owner, both the previous one and this one, they will either come and spend 4th of July evening with us, you know, out here with, in the barn with the horse, mm-hmm. or uh, they will make sure to get the horse drugged prior to the worst right. of it. Yeah, my dog, for some reason, just doesn't seem to care <laughs> about yeah. uh, fireworks, which is good. Um, but I do find it interesting that uh, somebody who doesn't like fireworks will say, please stop. 
if there are fireworks, but if their dog is affected, and you and I know this as dog owners, then it becomes, I'm calling the police. <laughs> I'm go- there are going to be yeah. lawyers involved. Yeah. I will go to the end of the earth to make you stop shooting your fireworks off because my dog is upset. I've which often, is kind of how we feel about our, our pets. We, it's you know. so bizarre because it's, it's <laughs> to, this actually will work as a segue for you. So here it comes. Okay. The, um, I've commented to my wife, from time to time that, you know, if you're watching a TV show, you're watching a movie and like they're killing criminals right and left. Yeah, no problem. That's the movie. Don't kill the dog. The dog dies. That's yes. it. You're done. It's, it's just horrible. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting which buttons they push. And it makes that, but that's, that's what makes the John Wick series of movies. Some of the greatest ever. <laughs> <laughs> I only watched all three of them or however many there are uh, just about yeah. a month and a half ago. And they're, oh, yeah. they're awesome. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's an awesome. And then when you step back and think this is all because they killed his dog. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So all dog owners can relate. And, and now speaking of television shows and death, uh, <laughs> there's the segue. Uh, I watched a new show uh, called upload, which is available for streaming on, Oh, is it Amazon? I think it's Amazon. I forget. Uh, anyway, it's a half-hour sitcom, you know, one season of a half-hour sitcom. Uh, and it has a tech uh, premise to it. Basically, it's the future. And when you die, uh, if you're rich enough, they will scan your brain, actually your entire head, um, digitize you, and stick you in a virtual world so you could live on in an afterlife. Uh, that's just called the upload or it's uploading. A, it's a surprisingly destructive scan. Yes. Oh, so you've seen it. Yes, <laughs> I know. So, you know, the one thing about it is it is, it is a total comedy. I mean, right. it's, you know, there are re- things about it. There's a storyline and all that, but it's, yeah, there are things that are very slapstick, including how the scanning process works. Um, and various other things in there, you know, and living in these virtual worlds, uh, also there's a lot of comic stuff and stuff that doesn't quite make sense from a tech standpoint, you know, of course. why is the surface of the water, a short animated GIF yet renderings <laughs> of other things seem to be an amazingly complex detail, you know, right. um, things like that, but it's got some interesting, uh, it, it's interesting enough to keep you going. Um, and was a nice distraction. It reminds me a little bit of like a, it was a comedy version of the Neil Stevenson, uh, book from last year. Uh, uh, called uh, Fall or Dodge in Hell. That's right. Where yes. he, it's a very serious look at a digital afterlife. This is a humorous look. And I love the fact you could, you could pick different digital afterlives to go into. So, you know, you could, you know, there's these different worlds. One episode, they even take a tour of various different worlds that you could decide to uh, exist in, which actually got me thinking. It was, int- you know, interesting. If that existed, if there were different worlds you could exist in, you know, what what world would I pick? Well, what I thought was interesting about that aspect of it, and actually, I found that perhaps the most fascinating, is that uh, it depends on how much money you have to spend. Yes, it does. And <laughs> right? stuff there's, costs money in the world. Yeah, there's yeah, cheap worlds and there's expensive worlds, and you know, all that kind of stuff. It was pretty, pretty entertaining to to consider what the the cheapest option, you know, turned out to be. Right. Like, Cause there were people that lived in the, uh, this one world where the main characters living, there were people that lived in the basement yes. and had limited a uh, bandwidth. Right. So if you actually thought too much, 
<laughs> don't think too hard. You're done. Don't think too, you <laughs> thought too much or did too much. You would run out of bandwidth and then you'd be frozen for the, for the rest of the month until your, you know, your, your bandwidth was renewed. Um, there was one, you know, it's, because it's such a serious subject, uh, it was hard to avoid some ominous things in there. Like there was the quick mention that the people in the virtual world were not allowed by law to work. Because that was one thing. It's like, well, why don't you have a job that does, you know, a virtual job? Right. You know, you could be tech support. You could be, right. you know, programmer, whatever. And, and that would solve your money problems, right? You could work, earn money, and then, you know, buy things from the world. But there was a quick mention of the fact that that was illegal. And I thought, ooh, that's a, that was a juicy little ominous overtone thrown in. Right. Do this otherwise kind of slapstick sitcom. So anyway, it's it's worth uh, checking out. I, I, I will I will second the recommendation. As you as you noted, I've I've seen it. We enjoyed it, and uh, and I'm hoping they'll do another season. To be honest. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. They, I mean, they, they they left it. This you know. Open, they left so. it. I I think it must have done well enough. Hopefully, we'll see it another season. Uh, of course, who knows with uh, the pandemic? I mean, nothing's been shooting. Uh, you know, for the last oh right four months, how will that change budgets and things? Once uh, once the studios can start filming things, they're going to want you know all these shows we made simultaneously, and they only have so much studio space. It's interesting to see if this changes it's, Hollywood and television. It's interesting because just yesterday, my wife and I were looking at a list of upcoming uh, comic book movies. You know, the DC universe, the Marvel universe, mm -hmm. and so forth. And of course, they've all been. You know, a lot of them have been postponed. The ones that were in the can got postponed a little bit. So things like Wonder Woman, I think it's Wonder Woman, out yeah, later this year. Uh, but there's all these additional sequels that are out there that are being planned. Things like I think Aquaman or another Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, follow on to Doctor Strange, all those kinds of things, right? And she was reading down the list, and it was like uh, there was like a constant. 2022, 2022, 2022. Yeah. They're all like a year and a half from now at the earliest. And a lot of that has been pushed out simply because of, of COVID and everything. Well, yeah, because even, so even after uh, like the movie theaters open up, maybe next month they're talking about, there's going to be restrictions on how many people can go into a theater. A mm -hmm. lot of people aren't going to want to go. And are you going to, after investing $100 million in Wonder Woman 1984, going to want to release that movie into that environment, knowing that your your box office gross is going to be severely stunted by that? Right. Or do you want to just wait, you know, wait until 2022 where you can go to the movie theater and get a free COVID-19 vaccine booster shot <laughs> with your popcorn. <laughs> what a brilliant idea. I love it. <laughs> you know, they used to give away like, like plates and stuff, you know, back in, uh, in the fifties. Yes, you, know, yes. you know, get another dinner plate, you know, come every week, you know, after a year you have a full set. Uh, you'll be fully vaccinated. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, switching topics a little bit. So, one of the uh, the institutions to be making the news over the last couple of weeks has been the Internet Archive for a number of different reasons. Um, they've been lending books, and we talked a little bit about how that may or may not be um, uh, on the up and up in the sense with respect to things like uh, copyright, et cetera. So there have been some issues, and they've been in the news a lot, and apparently they're having to spend money on things like lawyers. The... Uh, uh, there was a post that they posted that I really thought was interesting. The title is, How Can You Help the Internet Archive? And of course, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. But the bottom line, which just fascinated me, was that it was like 95% 
use us. Here's all the different ways you can use the Internet Archives. Here's all the cool stuff that's on the Internet Archive. Here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that. Um, you can sign up for an account. It's free. You can do things. You can upload things. I think we mentioned a week or two ago that uh, the TEH podcast is being archived on the Internet Archive. And I suspect that uh, at some point uh, more of our stuff will be. But I just thought it was fascinating that they spent so much time not doing the expected. The expected was, yeah, you can send us money here. Where in fact, and they did mention that, it's, it's buried actually, they did a fine job of burying that link. But uh, the description of all the different ways that you can use the Internet Archive was just very, very, uh, very, very cool. I just thought it was a, a wonderful reflection of exactly what they are about. Uh, one of the ways you can help the Internet Archive is to tell your friends about the Internet Archive. And guess what I just did? Yeah, nice, nice. And the other thing I wanted to mention, I just ran across this one this morning. It just cracked me up. Uh, you remember Boston Dynamics uh, robotic dog, right? Yeah, yeah. Spot. Well, apparently, uh, it was it was very restrictive who could purchase Spot, who could actually buy one of these robotic dogs. And they're opening it up. It's still not available for personal use. Like you and I can't go drop, as it turns out, $75,000 for a robotic dog. But apparently, corporations now and businesses have the opportunity to do so. Uh, the, the headline on the Gizmodo article is kind of funny. You can finally buy a Boston Dynamics Spot, but you can't use it for evil. In other words, there's a uh, there's actually part of the licensing terms that you apparently agree to when you purchase your dog is that you will not use your dog for evil. <laughs> I thought that was pretty fun. There is on the on the Gizmodo article page, which of course we'll have a link to, there is a uh, at least a GIF and probably a link to, I think, something I've mentioned here before as well, and that is Adam Savage, the guy from Mythbusters. He actually built a um, um, a rickshaw. Oh, yeah, it's a rickshaw with, and put the dog it's, on. It's, it's a rickshaw being pulled by the robotic dog, um, which it's, you know, it's completely ludicrous, mm. but it's also very cool. So anyway, the, the Gizmodo article has a link to that as well. Yeah, no, I think uses like that are, because it, it's ludicrous now when every single spot is brand new, right? Mm -hmm. But going 10 years down the road, and there's surplus spots, you know, ones that have, <laughs> well, ones that have done things and now they're in version four or whatever, right. you know, and you've got, you know, you've got these surplus ones that some organization used for a while. Now they've upgraded, you know, you, you reuse them, you know, what can you reuse them for? Well, if you pick up a cheap one and you have a rickshaw. <laughs> <laughs> I just know. have this this vision of a very old, tired spot walking down the street doing package delivery. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they did, was it in Japan where they actually used a similar looking dog to, uh, it might have been in South Korea, where they... Uh, social, social distancing? Yeah, to yeah, warning people to social distance. And then, you know, I th think one of the late night talk shows I was watching, it says, well, as long as the dog doesn't look anything like those ro scary robotic dogs on Black Mirror, and oh my God, it does look exactly, exactly like that. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny because that when I saw that article, I thought that, uh, oh God, they're actually using the dogs to like tell people, you know, yeah. you're, you're too close. No, they're not doing that at all. It's like, it's a mobile speaker yeah. playing a recording that says, stay away from each other. Everybody, please stay away from each other. Uh, it's, it's not a proactive, you know, 
uh, right? Doesn't it's not it doesn't notice that people are close or far or that you're even there. Maybe it's not punitive. It doesn't bark at you or anything like that. It just <laughs> should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be funny. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So the article I would like to point people to this week is. Um, how do I find out who's trying to change my password? It's askleo.com slash 12626. The issue, and it's something I'm sure that your readers experience it as well, Gary. Mm. You're, you're, you're you know, computing along, doing your day, doing your thing, reading your email, and all of a sudden you get a password reset confirmation notice on one of your accounts that you didn't ask for. Um, it's kind of creepy especially the first time, and especially if you don't understand what might be going on. Um, there are, um, I think I counted three different scenarios, only one of which is malicious, and even then it's not very likely to succeed, but it's something that people should at least be aware of and uh, be able to uh, to confidently take appropriate action or, as in most cases, take no action at all. Hmm. Yeah. Now that uh, I definitely see that, with my viewers too. I, I see it myself. Let's see. What do I have? What do you have? I have. Oh, yes. The video from today, actually. So this is interesting. I, I often get asked, how do I take notes on my, my Mac? And you could use anything to take notes. Right? You can get a text file, you know, whatever you want. Right. But there might be some apps that are more useful than others for note-taking, whether it's in a college class or at a meeting at work or something. Um, so I looked through it. it was one of those things I didn't really have a good answer for. So I actually took the time to research it. And I give a whole bunch of ideas of different apps, things that you could use to take notes. Surprisingly, one of the best ones I found, Microsoft OneNote, really? which is free yeah. for Mac users. So you don't even have to have um, a, a Microsoft account to get OneNote. They kind of throw it out there maybe to help hopefully bring you into the Microsoft ecosystem a little right. bit. First day's um, free. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, I was, I brought it up and I thought, well, this is just going to be like notes, you know, on the Mac or whatever. It's just Microsoft version. I was like, oh no, there's a lot of advanced functionality in here. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, but there are other, other ones that I mentioned as well. And, and it's really taking off today. So obviously I hit a nerve with this question. Uh, and, uh, a lot of people are checking it out. Yeah, there is definitely no shortage of note-taking applications. So it's it's good to have an overview. Now, they won't all appeal to everybody, but some of them, you know, will get the one idea. I just, I've been using Evernote for, gosh, yeah. probably for a decade now. And uh, I'm getting a little concerned at their lack of forward momentum. So I've started looking at a couple of others. And I started playing with Trello lately. So that was kind of interesting. Hmm. Storing some stuff there. So have played with OneNote, but it's been a while. It wasn't quite the, the what it is today. So I'll have to go take a look at that again. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I try to differentiate is, you know, uh, people say notes, they mean one of two things. One is creating a note for yourself, you know, easy access to information. Mm -hmm. But the other is actually like taking notes, like somebody's talking, right. you're in a meeting, and you and, and sometimes you can use the same apps. There's an overlap. Right. And sometimes people prefer a completely different app. One thing that OneNote does and also another app that I mentioned is it will record audio for you at right. the same time that you're taking notes and link the, uh, what you're writing oh. to the part of the recording. Cool. So that's kind of cool. But I also show like how to, like you could just use say pages and take notes in pages, but also have QuickTime player in the background recording from your microphone. Right. Um, so you end up with both an audio recording in the lecture 
and uh, your own notes, which is something that we didn't have when we went to college. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, you could have your you have your little cassette. You know, did you ever do the little thing with the micro cassette recorder? No, no. Or the cassette? Yeah, I I did it a few times, but um, just not as easy. You know, when you have to rewind and you know, we had uh, there was a service that uh, you could purchase notes for the classes that you'd taken. There were actually oh. students who were good note takers. I, I'm a horrible note taker. Yeah. So they were good note takers and they yes. would take notes during the classes for you know the big popular classes. And then a couple of days later, they would be available for purchase and you could grab them. I thought Ooh. that was kind of interesting. It was totally legit, totally you know above board, very popular. Um, I thought that was interesting. My note-taking solution is an interesting one. I want something that I can use uh, without looking. In other words, I want to be able to take a note while I'm driving. Uh, so, because yeah. I get, you know, I, you get ideas. I get my ideas in either of two places, the shower, uh, which apparently is really common, or when I'm driving, when I'm doing something else. And I don't want to have to like swipe a screen and tap a button and, and all that stuff and take my eyes off the road. So I actually have a little pocket voice recorder. In fact, I have it with me right now. And I can drive it completely without looking. Uh, it just does mean that, yeah, I've got to transcribe the note at some point, but it's, uh, it's better captured than not. Hmm. Cool. All righty. I think that pretty yeah. much wraps us up. Yep. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh103. As always, if you've got a comment or a question for us, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. And yes, the Facebook page is one of the ones I will look at. <laughs> uh, or you can always leave a comment on the show notes page. Love that too. Thanks as always for listening and we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.